experience I was just going for a walk in back of the forest and like my entire mind actually just was like completely silent and it was crap it's like in a weird way it's like the loudest thing you've ever heard um all right james where so i mean before we get in should we just introduce you as the the two from coronavirus pod fame well for all the fans that have made it across Hector I think it's a good shout uh, yeah for all the fans who made it across in 2020 James and I hosted the London coronavirus podcast uh, it feels like a long time ago James yeah it does decades ago I'd say Dave but it's great to be back in the hot seat with Hector as well I like that you guys are on app too and it's already a collab you know what? Most people would say, speak closer to the mic. But as you were there, I don't, because normally you have to nudge me and be like, oh, you actually speak, speaking, speaking to the mic. But James, I feel like you've just got, you've just nailed the acoustics. Good voice, right? Yeah, yeah, very, very solid voice. James, you just did 10 days in complete silence. I did, yeah, Dave. I, talk, I'm talk one week us. out. Talk to us. Yeah, it makes sitting here speaking to you guys and recording our thoughts for all posterity a particularly out there concept, having lived inside only my head for 10 days so recently. Yeah, I I got out last Sunday, so I'm like eight days out. So I think I've just started to more fully process it, Dave. But yeah, it's pretty extreme. I think the first thing I'd say is like, you say to people you're going on a meditation retreat and I think they picture kind of like, you'll have a commercial for some pillow brand almost, like you're kind of floating in the clouds and like relax, zend out, like maybe there's a few like Andrex puppies running in around you as well, just to add to the comfort. But it's not like that. This one is certainly not like that. It's like, it's a bit more like a meditation military boot camp, I'd say. That's like the first way I'd present it. Like you're up at four o'clock every morning. You're sitting pretty much all day with a few breaks in between. It's all very like disciplinarian. So all of that's like the flavour of it. it. It's much more intense in that sense than I think people would expect. But it is what it says on the tip, right? It's 10 days of silence you don't talk to anyone there's no more there's no there's it's 10 days of complete silence yeah that's right yeah you're not even allowed to read write okay like no communication of any kind gestures are strongly discouraged eye contact smiles with people with because you're doing it in a in a group of people or not yes yeah there were like 150 people where i did it yeah no you're not really meant to like make any eye contact any thumbs up, thumbs down. Heavy. Yeah, so you go pretty inside, mm. which is crazy. Especially like, I think it, it's weird because I first did it in 2017. I then did it again in 2020 and did it again now. And it's nuts how like, even just looking back on that, you realise we've just, our digital dependency curve has gone like that. Like, it seemed like quite a crazy thing to do in 2017. But now it's so much more extreme because, like, that hook of constant digital social media content just takes up even more of our brains than it did that few years ago. I think what I find really interesting when someone says, 
they've done a, a silent meditation retreat is the fact that people go back for more <laughs> because you you've done numerous uh, you know you've done numerous meditation retreats now yeah and i i always thought of it's like i always thought of it as oh that would be an interesting to do thing to do once and be like oh yeah i did that you know like a skydive or something like that but what's interesting is people keep coming back for more because you've done more than one as well hector or you just done one yeah no, i've done so i've done two one like that which was in march earlier this year and the, the one i did before was kind of like this is a vipassana it was kind of like a vipassana light so it was a bit more you could read you could write you know it was, it was quite a lot of uh it was like buddhist teaching so it was a bit more chilled but i did a I mean, boot camp's a great way to put it because it is intense. Like, I came out of that. I came out of that a little bit shell shocked. But uh, I'm, I'm interested to hear what over those three. What was your kind of experience each time? How's it changed as you've as you've done more? Yeah, good question. The first one was definitely the hardest. Like, I think the first one is just absolutely brutal because you go in and you know you've carved out ten days where you've told everyone you know. I'm not going to be contactable. You've like sacked off all your other commitments. And so you're pretty committed. Like I think it's hard to be much more committed saying than that. But then you get there and after like the first half a day, I was like, I don't know if I'm actually going to make it through this. And people who have made that commitment do drop out. So like it is, yeah, the first one's really intense. And I think just like, surviving it is so euphoric and you come out of the other side and feel like certainly my experience was you feel like a totally different person like it's like the biggest gap um whereas this one doing it for the third time i think it passed much more easily it wasn't easy by any means but it was more like the days sort of went by and it felt more like oh yeah we'll just get there from going day by day whereas before i was like 15 more minutes and I'll be at this break and then an hour. Like, it was really, like, hour by hour. So I think that's changed. Why why do people go back for more, Dave? I think it's a bit like... It's funny because it's an experience that has, if your loyal listeners were were picture, (laughs) kind of, like, combined... Nice use of the plural there as well. (laughs) (laughs) If you're... Well, there's two mums anyway, so that's a start. But... Yeah, there you go. We're we're multiplying out here. Um, But it's like, it's a combination of many things. I think it's got this endurance sports thing that like the intensity is like that. And I think it taps into a similar part of people's brains. It's got a kind of like hallucinogenic drugs vibe going on in there too. So I think it appeals to people who are into exploring things that way. It's got a novelty. It really feels at some points like you're almost like role-playing. Like whether that's like a religious thing or more like a being in prison thing. But it's got that too. It feels a bit like you're living in this weird dream world movie scape. So I think combining all of those things and there's kind of the side of like, is there a spiritual or at least like self-personal development side too... I think when you combine all those things to someone who any of those things might appeal to, it's quite potent. And if more than one of those things appeals to you, I think there's really sort of something there that's hard to satisfy in other ways. Whereas like a similar thing would be people who like do extreme endurance sports events and things. Yeah, I think with extreme sports there's a bit of jeopardy and i always thought with the silent meditation retreat is there at least one percent of your brain that's thinking one person in this 150 could have a proper breakdown here and i'll be there to see it the way that like an f1 fan 
you know, there might be a tiny bit of them that thinks there could be a crash, right? You don't want it, but like it could be. Is there, is there any of that? Or like, because you're not just seeing yourself be mentally tested, you're watching yeah. 149 other humans be tested as well, right? And you don't want to be the one that, that cracks. Is I there think any- there's an element of that and the jeopardy that you could be that person. Because <laughs> it's like, I think you have, particularly if you've done it before, you go into it with some sense of like, I'll probably be okay here by and large and I know how to navigate it. But it's pretty unguarded. Like, there are people running it who can provide some guidance. But other than that, you're sort of on your own. So I think, yeah, there is that jeopardy. And you do hear, I mean, there are sessions where you're not meant to leave the hall that are like an hour long. And that's the longest you're really meant to like be strict and try not to move. Or even if you move, at least stay in the hall. But you do hear people like get up and just run out, which is quite dramatic when everyone else is just sat there in silence. So it does have its moments like that, yeah. But I think it's more, I don't know what your experience of it was like, Hector, but for me, I think more of like the intensity of it comes from you being like, well, maybe I'll be that person. And where's the, where's the edge there? Like how close are you to that edge? Yeah, I think a lot of it as well is like, you know, the whole thing is effectively like a mental boot camp that you're training your mind to be less reactive. So the whole thing is no craving, no aversion. So if you crave something and you can't have it, that brings you unhappiness. If you're averse to something, you don't like something, that brings you unhappiness. So the whole thing is it's just about detaching with those emotions. So when you feel them come up, it's like not reacting to them and letting them overcome you. And I think once you've, once you get that intellectually, which after spending 10 days literally having it drummed into you, it's, it's not hard to do, then part of you is like, yeah, you know, it's, ob- it, it's obvious and you, know, you still have to put in the work and, and like do it. But then you know, when you get back from the retreat and you, know, you maybe got that calm that you take into your life and then over time life starts to happen and you start to get worn down and after you're a while, you've forgotten how brutal the 10 days were. And you're like, actually, I could really do with a reset. You know, I could really do with going back to that. And then you're sat there on day one, I imagine, like, oh my God, completely forgot what this entails. So there's a bit of a like, it's, it's like a promise of, hey, just keep doing this and all your problems will go away. It's like anything, it's like where religion is popular. Like people have that salvation, uh, you know, kind of seeking enlightenment, seeking you know, the end of suffering. So I think it's also that promise of a, of a kind of way out of of life's problems that that people use as a a way forward and you know it does work you see people get more peaceful the more they do these things you know there's lots of people who make a career now talking about their sharing the wisdom because they go and do this every year so there's there's no doubt that something pretty profound happens if you put yourself through that especially uh, as james was saying because you know nowadays like digital use is just skyrocketing so you really realize when you sit down and have to just sit there for three hours. Like, that's mental. We were talking about reading last week and about how, you know, so so many people today just ha- have that muscle's completely gone. So you sat down and read a book and distracted in a few minutes. It's a similar kind of thing where you are sitting there on day one and you're like, how on earth am I going to do this for 10 hours a day for the next 10 days? Like It just, it does not seem possible. And then by going through that process and throughout the 10 days, you're getting better and better and better and not reacting to the pain in your leg or whatever it is. So I, there's seeing the progress as well. And you can then see you come back better, you come back more peaceful as well. So I, I think with any meditation and generally digitally detoxing, the more of it you do, the more of it you kind of see the effects and the more you crave that. It's like exercise, you know, mm-hmm. like the more you exercise, the more you see the health benefits. 
I guess I also wondered about like the time frame. So Hector's your unplugged cabins, you most of the bookings are like for three days, right? You have the option of four days as well. Is that something just is that time frame because it mainly fits in with people's lives and you know it's unrealistic to go away to a cabin for 10 days or you know is there a lot of science in that that it takes takes a couple of days to fully uh, you know reset your mind it's a very different procedure so i mean i say procedure because that's what they talk about this retreat so <laughs> that is <laughs> clinical yeah so, so when you talk about here's a really good metaphor around it literally being surgery you know because when so, so i'll start with unplugged people come to us you know the two biggest use cases are couples who just want to spend time together offline and you know that it, it takes about a day for the, the first day you get off your phone you're a bit more anxious and then you kind of get this like sense of calm and clarity and like that is all that you really need to, to then be able to spend that true time together actually have a conversation without your phone there uh, and the other big use case is people are going to you know they're going to think they're going to like plan strategize whatever it might be they go on their own maybe they just want to read a book for three days so you know, that is just about getting people offline. It needs to be more than 24 hours because if you just go for 24 hours, then you haven't really... Some We occasionally see uh, like journalists talking about how digital detox don't work because there was a research paper about it in 2021. And there was a research paper in 2021 saying digital detoxes don't work, but it was only over the course of a day, you know? So it was over eight hours. And then they were like, no, this doesn't work. It's terrible. And don't get me wrong. I think any time off a phone is good and gives you a chance to reset. But what we found is, is you need the multi-day to really reset. Now, this is something different. So a really useful metaphor they talk about on this retreat is that you are doing mental surgery, you're doing surgery on yourself. And when you cut in surgery, then you get all of the horrible things coming out, like the pus, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But you have to keep cutting down to, to get the thing out and to have the benefits afterwards. So the last day... Uh, they he does what he calls applying the balm, which is just chanting some uh, random things. But uh, so so you know th- that's a much more it's, it's a much more intense process, and it's just a different thing. So it's comparing apples and oranges. But uh, yeah, I think for that one, you just need to get the reps in. You know, you just need to sit on that pillow for ten hours a day for ten days. You know, and, I mean, it doesn't quite sound like a cult. But it's like close, right? It's, it's on the way, yeah. yeah. And some people do it for longer. You know, people do. Um, uh, I'll butcher his name, but the guy who wrote *Sapiens*, Yuval Noah Harari. Yeah, he, he does it for three months a year. For three months a year, he just goes into a vipassana retreat. And you know, he started off doing what James and I do, like doing one once a year or, or so. And, and then every year, he built it up, and, and now he tends to spend three months of a year. And actually, when I first read *Sapiens*, uh, which is a fantastic book, I thought like the quality of insight in this is amazing. And then when I heard that he does Vipassana for three months of the year, it made sense. Mm-hmm. Like, no, no wonder this guy's got a super unique and interesting angle on this because he spends that much time. Just you're just training your mind. Like it, when you when you're yeah. doing it, you really feel like you're training your mind. Yeah. I th- before this pod I was going to, I didn't research <laughs> what's the longest anyone's ever gone in complete silence, like recorded. I don't know. Uh, well, you get, you get. This man's got the answer. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there's like Buddhist monks. There's a, a, a British woman who is a Buddhist monk, and she spent 17 years in a cave in the Himalayas. Okay. You know, so that like, pe- people have done big shifts. That is- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you know. yeah, yeah, what? News to catch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I like that you think how much the world's changed in the last 17 years. You know, it came out. There's like pre-smartphones, everything. You know, like so much. Imagine coming back to like London, living in like the centre of London. I bet she didn't do that. 
but can you imagine how much would have changed? Yeah, that's a good stint. I wonder where, what sort of wanders into mental illness with, with that kind of stint. But yeah, 17 years is a long... Why do you think mental illness? Uh, I think like <laughs> 10 days, you boys have just about passed it off as not being a cult. But if you're going away for 17 years, like it's... Uh, I mean, yeah, it's, it's... I don't know, like... On some level, you still need to test yourself against reality. 17 years is a lot. Well, maybe we'll try and get her on the pod. Her <laughs> <laughs> first speaking <laughs> engagement. See how chatty she is. Or maybe we could fly out to meet her and do the yeah, pod there, in the there's a lot. There's a lot of people who have done like good stints, so I'm sure we can get... Either either me or James need to go off for a couple of years and do a proper stint, or, or we'll try and find someone to, to come on. That's a lot of pent-up banter, 17 years. That would really <laughs> cause some damage on the Spotify charts. I think I can't imagine coming out after that long. Even I don't know what your experience this was like, Hector. But even after like ten days, I did this one in Sweden, and we were pretty in the middle of nowhere. So we got a bus out of the centre, like thirty minutes to the nearest random town. Is this after you finished? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so we're on this bus and you're like, wow, I'm seeing somewhere new, like these new fields with farmers. Even that was quite dramatic. And then we were in this tiny little provincial train station and it had really like a glorified news agents to call it a shop would be grandiose. But like going in there after 10 days of doing and seeing nothing, it was like the brightest of bright lights like the colours of the magazines, all the artificial colours, and they had a couple of things like advertising screens selling their coffee and stuff. I was just like completely mesmerised. Like, so I can't really imagine what the effect would be like if you did that much longer. Even like the Yuval Noah Harari ones, like after a few months, it would be hardcore to come back in yeah because I still get a buzz like when you go in the supermarket and you see like an avocado from Nicaragua and like a mango from like you know New Zealand or something do they do mangoes you know what I mean like I find that amazing so like that kind of stimulus just must be crazy like after but, but how do you what's the just from a practical point of view obviously you guys are old hands like the 10 days finishes yeah and is there like a bong and then everyone's encouraged to be like Hi, yeah, they give you a bit of a decompression, like a buffer. You've got a day, you've got got a buffer day. So you finish finish on day 10 in the morning, but you actually stay till the next morning. And so that day you can chat with the other people and the schedule's a bit more relaxed, but you're still kind of in it, which does work quite well because then like... It's not so overwhelming because these are all the people you've been milling around with for 10 days. But you kind of get a bit more like into normal life, yeah. So, so, I mean, you're eight days out now. What what have those eight days looked like and how are you feeling now? I think... (laughs) He looks... He's got the face of a man that's excited to be back amongst (laughs) it. Like, I'll tell you that. I have the funniest. I decided to come back in, in one day. So I like went straight, it was like this pass, then like a three hour train, then go to the airport, then a flight. But I was like, I think that's what I'm going to want to do. And in the end I did, but my flight was delayed for three hours and the airport was quite an intense first environment to be back in, like especially having been woken up at 4am that morning. So that was, that was definitely, I I was practicing with some like, not experiencing a version in the real world when I tried to take a nap and like my corner of the airport became the children's play area like with everyone delayed for this flight so it's funny how you're like 
I think those first jarring moments back in the outside world are weird because you're like, you've been practicing all this stuff so long, but like doing that in the outside world, it is easier, but also like, you're like, wow, this is a different thing. Yeah. I, and you can't stop people and say like, excuse me, can you keep it down? I've just done a 10 day silent meditation. <laughs> not really. <laughs> I think you get some odd looks. If Stockholm you Airport. Yeah. yeah. I think you do notice it. I mean, you definitely notice it mentally. Like, I think you're like, how quiet your mind is definitely stays. And as you settle back in, you know, now that feels like it's kind of like leveled out. I think you also notice that like you can respond to things much more neutrally. Like I managed to lock myself out this week and I had no access to spare keys. And it was like one of those like split second moments that like cost me 120 quid to solve. But like, it was amazing how much more able I was just to respond to that as a situation that needed solving. And like, it was a bit annoying, but I didn't experience it as like this huge thing about me or the world or like. So I think I think it's interesting. Like after you've had a little bit of time, you get moments where obviously it's not like you're going to come out and everything's just going to like go your way like easy happy days but you realize you respond to those things differently yeah that's super interesting for sure i guess because like to take as you said earlier to take you out of your life completely for 10 days like it's got to be a special thing right like no contact with anyone you know some people spend the whole year looking forward to like the 10 day holiday right uh so it's uh yeah, I mean, you guys have kept going back, so it's obviously worthwhile. And you'd do it again? Yeah, I would do it again, I think. But like Hector says, you need like a push. I think straight afterwards, you're like, how did you find coming out of it? Uh, I, found, I found this one. So the, the first retreat I did was just like exactly the right thing at the right time in my life. So I, I literally just came out of that euphoric and like, you know, so much joy, compassion, whatever it is. And so I went into this one with sky high expectations and then it was brutal. Yeah. So I was like, uh, I, I definitely came out of it a bit shaken and a bit like, yeah, and I, I didn't get the reintegration right. So the day I got out, I had like three coffees after not drinking any caffeine for 10 days. So I slept like one hour the night after that. And so I, I, I think that whole week was just a bit of a blur. But now I'm, you know, I'm probably four or five months away from it now, I suddenly start to look back on it fonder and like, oh, that was actually really beneficial. And I think one of the biggest things that just, so I've started meditating. I was meditating quite a lot before that, but it, it just like resets the bar, right? It's like if you just spent, you know, if you just spent 10, 10, 100 hours basically in 10 days meditating, then suddenly just smashing out an hour meditation in the morning is not so much. So I think that's, it's, it's a really useful like reset. But, um, and I think another bit on your point about 10 days, it's like what you realize after coming out of that is like nothing's changed. You know? yeah, the world yeah. did not miss you. So like, I think the more of these things that you do, the more you like that. My mate um, has just quit his job uh, or he was running a startup. So he's handed the startup over to his brother to cycle from Hackney to Hong Kong, taking a year. And the startup's thriving since he stepped out of here like a month later. And so like, whenever I go on holiday, honestly, Unplugged just, uh, just, just kind of skyrockets. He realized that... Sometimes getting out of the way is a, a good thing. So I think I think there there needs to be, not needs to be, but I think we could all benefit from a little bit more of that uh, that attitude. Like we're not that important, and actually, the more you can kind of detach yourself, it gives the company space, gives you space. So yeah, the world, world's not yeah, going to miss you. Yeah, completely. And it is. I think it's a really big commitment if you're taking ten days from a like traditional job holiday, yeah. right? Like that. However, you try and wing it with weekends or whatever. 
it's still like a pretty serious portion of your leave. But if you're fortunate enough to be in a position where you can more easily like flexi time say, oh, I'll take these 10 days, you're spot on. Like you kind of realize that like in a week and a half of normal life, not that much happens quite a lot of the time. Like it's a bit of a trap where you're like, oh, I'll do so much like having a New Year's resolution or something where you're like, oh, but 10 days I do so much. Like you kind of come out and you're like, yeah, not too much has, has really happened, which also is quite interesting in its own way. It's funny you say about like what you think, how much you think you do in 10 days because James and I did all... 48 Olympic oh, yeah. events. Have you seen this video? Yeah, if anyone hasn't watched this, it's a great, it's go a great back, watch. Go yeah. back and check it out. And I remember then we did all 48 Olympic events in 48 hours without leaving London. So it was like, you know, amateur fencing and all this kind of stuff. And I remember at the end of the first day thinking, oh my God, you can do so much in a day. Yeah. And what have I been doing before? Because we literally woke up at 6am and it was like kayaking here, uh, skateboarding there. And we'd booked the whole day from like 6am to 9pm. And I remember the end of that first day being like, oh my God, what am I doing with my days? Because you can do all this stuff. So yeah. That's it. Because it's just been busy. What we were talking about earlier, which is we, we filmed the first episode of this last Tuesday. It's Monday now. So six days, right? Absolutely flew by. The the first day I did at this retreat was ten times longer than than <laughs> since we did this last podcast. So there is just this, and it's 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 just been busy. Like you're just you're just mindless, and so days feel so short because we're so busy. But you 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 really look at a day like we have a lot of hours in a day. Yeah, you know, maybe it's a topic for a different pod, but uh, like ninety everyone actually one hundred percent of people waste ninety five percent of the day. Like I am so much more effective at working than I used to be. I still waste ninety five percent of my time just working on you know shit that doesn't move the needle. So I think uh, there's a, the lesson in there is like you know, we could all do a lot more by doing less. I think. Yeah, nice one, nice one. Well, James, it's good to hear you. You know, back in full force after the <laughs> right. and like, yeah, it's good. I hope the airport wasn't too traumatic. And, <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm the sound sure. of an aeroplane taking off after that must. Have, I mean, that is wild, isn't it? After ten days, it is really trippy. It's almost. I mean, I think for all the other things, it's almost worth doing once just to experience what it's like to come out the other side. Like, it is very cool to see the world that freshly i think that is something that like you know to do once in your life would appeal to anyone really like that like novelty of actually just like you know not with all these distractions like you come out and you're like wow it's crazy like what does it actually mean to be in a city like what does that look like if you have really fresh eyes that is crazy and i also think it is quite nuts as well even compared to you know, experiences you can try and make more in your day-to-day life with meditation and and other things. But, like, when you're there, you can have a moment where, like, you're, you actually, which is brief, not, like, the whole time, but, like, I, like, this time, really strongly experienced I was just going for a walk in the back of the forest and, like, my entire mind actually just was, like, completely silent. And it was crap. It's like, in a weird way, it's like the loudest thing you've ever heard. Because you're so used to some noise. But it was like, what is it? Like, it's almost like, it's like hearing someone like smacking a metal hammer against a wall. But then you're like, oh yeah, this is just what like actually quiet sounds like. 
which I'm sure unplugged <laughs> clients have experienced too. We reckon Dave, you sold? We're going to get you on a 10-day? I, I, I think, I mean, 10 days of your life is a lot, isn't it? I know you boys have given it, you've, and I know you take your points, but yeah, uh, I'll, I'll just start with not looking at my phone first thing in the morning for, for another year, Hector, and then, uh, and, and then I'll go there. It's um, a deal. <laughs> but like, but you did yours in Sweden. I did, but yeah. you've done one. In, you did your first one in the UK, both of you, or not? No, yeah. yeah. My first one was in the Himalayas. Oh, that was it. Yeah. The, the one I did this year was UK. Yeah, okay. at the, in Herefordshire. Was that the one you, you've done that one? Yeah, yeah. It is. What's it, the crowd like? Like eighteen to eighty. It's a, <laughs> I don't it's know. A like. real it's a mix. It's a mix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You do get. You definitely get some people who are quite alternative, but actually, majority of people are just like city dwelling folk with normal jobs of kind of all yeah age ranges really. you, you get the range from like you know very or, or like young adults kind of probably 18 to early 20s trying to find themselves right up to like going through divorce like you know real kind of midlife crisis right up to you know people who are 18 and been doing this for 60 years so there's a real range and when you do start chatting to everyone, are you with anyone? You're like, wow, you should have stayed silent. <laughs> or, like, you know, or is everyone quite lovely and soft, and you can chit chat? Because also hearing people's voices must be kind of wacky, right? Because you might think, I bet that person has like a Norwegian accent, yeah, yeah, yeah. or he must be from you know wherever. I remember really strongly from my first one, but like you can't help saying you also see it's like how obsessed your mind is with like making up stories and like and also like. Because you can't have any real relationships, your mind just sort of like makes up fake ones. So you're like, oh, I kind of have the same routine as this person. So we're friends. It's really weird seeing how these parts of your brain work. But like, I remember really strongly from the first one, that the guy who like, I mean, people get pretty into it, look pretty serious and intense by the time you start going through the days. But there was one guy who was like the most broody mofo like he was walking everywhere like kind of john valjean having got his death sentence like it all was very like in his head and like and then like once we started speaking i got changed him and he was like the softest like funniest guy like so so i think it's more the opposite actually i think at least on that first day everyone's kind of full of goodwill and yeah you get on pretty well with everyone. So it is quite a crazy thing to have shared that experience, yeah. even though you've shared it in a way where you're just only like physically sharing it. That is very bonding, but you've, you've really gone through something together. So you, you get a sense of that afterwards. Have you guys kept in contact with anyone that you met there? Been... Loosely. Yeah. I don't have Loosely, any like yeah, bezies yeah. from it, but... Yeah, I I have stayed in touch loosely. I think this group were organising a house party in Copenhagen, <laughs> which I'd almost be intrigued to attend. That would be like the full spectrum of seeing people, I think, from like 4.30 a.m. meditation session to what was the, what wild was the, house party. What was the kind of demographic? Was it a lot of Swedish or... Real mix. This one weirdly was in Danish, so there were quite a lot of Danish people there, which as the first time I'd ever been to Sweden was quite discombobulating, really. It was in Danish, it was presented in Danish. English and Danish. Oh, English, okay, okay. Um, so but, there was something for, for <laughs> where there, at there the were back. quite a lot of Danish few internationals, a couple of people like traveling around. Because I think on your cult thing, Dave, 
one of the craziest things about it is this one is just fully free. Like, you can go anywhere in the world, and they have centres pretty much anywhere, and you can just pitch up, and you stay for free, eat for free, the teaching's free, which is quite crazy. And there's a bit where in, there, there are, like, these discourses every evening. And the guy started it, talks about it, and it's quite funny, because he's saying when he started it in India, and they first rolled out the centres, people like, you are absolutely mental. Do you know how many people there are in India who want a free meal? Like, you're going to, this place is going to be overrun. He was like, let them come. They're going to have to work from 4 a.m. till 9 p.m. every day. Or, or they can't stay. And it worked. And then when he moved to the West, people were like, if you say it's for free, no one's going to trust you. They'll think you're some, like, government agency or, like, there's something really strange going on behind the scenes. And he was like, no, people will figure it out. And it kind of worked on both counts, which is quite crazy. And it does, I think that's, I, I have, I think lots of people who do that one have, like, a mixed relationship with it. Some people are just like, this is my thing and fully go for it. But lots of people have, like, their bits they really like, bits that they're less sure of. I think one of the things I, that really I get a lot out of that particular one is that because when you're having a hard day, it really changes it when you're like, I'm only here because someone else paid for me to do it, like paid it forward. Whereas I think there are lots of things like Is there this. a donation at the end? There's an optional one, yeah. Okay. But it's really... But it's genuinely it's is optional, very yeah. soft ask, yeah. yeah. It's not like most of these things where you get loads and loads of emails. It's basically like, you know, you either choose to or you don't. Yeah, because what's free in the West anymore? Yeah. So I think like. that, like, you know, there are lots of great ones, and I like to do some um, that you can pay for as well. But if they were that hard, I can see how you, you're, you're turned to another place with them. So when there's a lunch you don't like, you're like... Oh, I'm paying this much, you know. I kind of like have a proper lunch. Yeah. Whereas with this one, it's like, what are you going to do? Take out with the guy who paid for you? Like, so I think that saying that is powerful. Like you say, just like there's so little, if anything, that we really do in our society, which doesn't involve a transaction of money. What like, is it like soup to eat? Because it's not steak and chips, presumably. You have. Because you fast quite a lot too. So you have like porridge for breakfast at like 6am. Nice. Seems very international, the porridge. It's part of the brand. It's like Hilton Hotel no breakfast. They're all no fuel drinks at 11am no, though for the games. No fuel specials, no. Um, and then lunch is normally like, it's like kind of sure, veggie basically. curries and rice kind of or dals and rice quite plain but it's all right but the, the fast is actually really nice like I, I found so you stop eating at 12 and then but you really get into it and what i also what you notice is that uh, at the on the first day everyone's like you gotta go back for seconds like loading up their plate like eating as much as possible and then as the week goes on people are eating less and less and less one because you're becoming more present but also because it's hard like that afternoon session you've got three hours meditating when you just had a massive meal is, is tough so over time people just just really start to do that so you actually come out feeling great like one of the best things is that i didn't overeat for 10 days you know like that that's really nice of just like eating a healthy amount because it's, it's, it's another thing with being busy like if you're busy you just start you know, just eat whatever just chuck it in and uh th- that is 
that is one of the nicest things. You come out of it just with a real reset on those habits as well. Very interesting, boys. Yeah. We'll get you there. We'll get you there. We'll get the... Uh, we'll, we need we'll, to get the what's woman... What's your bet? Winter 2026, I think. I, I might line that up. Yeah. We'll book your bus now, Dave. <laughs> well, we need to get the woman on who's in 17 years, I think. Uh, we'll meant yeah, to have yeah. first. Yeah. Well, maybe we can try and talk to someone that's like a year the, in silence, because there must be a few... The there. North London Buddha Centre is just down the road from you, so okay, we, can, yeah. we can swing by and see if... fishing. <laughs> 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 soliciting at the North London Buddha Centre. <laughs> 